because someone today is refer to the author of your faith. Refer to the author of your faith. The scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 12, from verse 1 to 6, and it reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet uh, resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the extortion that address you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Uh, verse 6, let me repeat. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he received. And that is the word of God. Praise be to God. Allow me to welcome uh, Pastor Koti, who is bringing the word of God to us today. Um, let me pray for the servant of God. We want to thank you, our God and our Father, for this time to hear you as you speak to us today. What a wonderful time, Jehovah, King of glory. We surrender ourselves to you and we pray, would you remove any hindrance, Lord, our God and our Father, that would you speak through your servant. Use him, Lord, as a vessel as we bring your word to us today. In the name of God, who is our Father, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Welcome, Pastor Koti. Thank you so much, uh, Reverend Irene. Good morning, church. It's quite, quite the privilege for me to say good morning and hear a response. Let me tell you, miracles are real. God exists. For the longest of time, we have been monologuing here and by faith receiving the good morning from at home. But now, to hear your voices with us, I really thank God and I bless I bless his holy name. We have been looking at the book of Hebrews, quite, quite the letter that the anonymous author, though for me I favor Paul, but that is debatable, that the anonymous author wrote. And he was writing, in case you have forgotten, he has written to a group of Jews who live in Jerusalem. And these Jews are under the Roman tyranny, the Roman colonial period. And it's not such a good time for them because it's, it's, it's a bit of a struggle, you, you see. They have been experiencing persecution. In fact, there's one character, one character, his name is briefly, I think, schemed perhaps in scripture. The Emperor Nero, this guy was a tyrant for Christians. Let me tell you, he used to burn them at the stake at the stake, alive. 
you would light, 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 light Christians, fire. It was, it was quite the season for them. And not just this persecution that they were facing, their fellow Jews who are Judaizers as well stigmatized them. Were like, no, 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 now that you have abandoned Judaism, the faith that we are supposed to follow, we will not break bread with you, we will not eat with you. And the times were difficult for the Jews, for these particular Hebrews. You add on to this their own personal struggles, their own personal sins, their own personal temptations. Perhaps some of their children are wayward, some of them are addicted, some of them are, are struggling with so many things. So life seemed to have encompassed them with a lot of, a lot of trials. And so it is to these people that the author of Hebrew writes, and he says and he implores them and he's like, keep the faith. Do not lose heart. Do not give in. Do not give up. Do not lose sight of Jesus in this marathon that we are going through, in this marathon that we are walking, rather that we are running. It is for us to keep faith and to keep persistence. And so today, in particular, we'll be focusing on the author and the finisher of our faith. Particularly, that is verse 2. That's where our title for today comes from. And just in case you're writing notes, here is the roadmap. Here is the roadmap that, that I want you to follow. The first point we'll begin with is the author revealed. Who is this mysterious author? Uh, what does it mean that he's the author of our faith? We're looking at the author revealed. That's the first point. The second point, we'll be looking at following in the author's footsteps. Following the example that he has set for us. And lastly, we will be left with where does that leave us? What does that then mean for us? We who are here today, in this time where there is no Nero, when there is no persecution per se, where does that leave us Christians for today? So just in case you forget everything else I say, this is what I do not want you to forget. In fact, I'd employ you to write it down if you're able to write it down. This is the heart of my message. I always begin with it just in case I... I emotionate a lot and, and give you a lot of stories and you forget. This is the main point. The first, two main points. The first one is this. We are called to the faith that comes from obedience. Each and every one of us as believers, God calls us to the faith that comes from obedience. But this, our obedience, is not of our own. We are fueled by Christ's obedience. So we obey not because we are able or because it is within ourselves, but we obey because Christ obeyed. Jesus set the example of obedience for us, and so we are able to obey as well. That's the first point. We are called to the faith that comes from obedience, and we obey because Christ obeyed. My second point is this. We must learn, we must train ourselves. We must learn and train ourselves. We must be intentional to learn to value the giver of the gift. Value the giver of the gift than the gift itself. You need to learn to value the one who's given you the gift more than the gift they have given you. You need to learn to value the one who blesses more than the blessing itself. You need to learn, and we all need to learn to value the promise giver more than the promise itself. Kosambamba? Amen, amen. So now, it was last year, 
one of those times, I don't know if you've ever had such a time, after a long holiday of lethargy, of eating junk food and growing fat in my house, I decided I need, to, I need to do something about my life. I need to start working out. I need to go to the gym. So I'm psyched up and pumped up. And I, I'm like, in fact, to show myself how serious I am, I'm going to walk to the gym. In fact, jogging and walking. So that I arrive there, I'm prepped, I'm warmed up, I'm ready. And for sure, I did. Jogged, walked, ran, walked, jogging, depending on how, how my breathing was. I think during that time, there were no masks. So I was breathing a bit properly than I am now. So I arrive at the gym, and lo and behold, the instructor. This instructor, I must tell you, is a very good marketer, because he'd dressed, he'd clad in quite the tight attire. So you could draw the muscles on his body. You're like, yes, Lord, that is the vision. That is what I want. You know? And for sure, I was psyched. I'm like, I'm in the right place. I'm in the right place. Yes, yes, yes. So charges, I mean, the fee is paid, and, and so the process, I'm like, I have my water with me, I remove the, the heavy jackets I'm wearing, I'm like, yes, I'm ready, I'm ready. So he begins and says, go to that corner and do for me a thousand, a thousand skip ropes, jump ropes, a thousand, and count. And then he goes and sits. So I, I begin, I have, it's not an actual, I tried with an actual skip rope, imaginary one. A thousand jumps, one after another. By the time I'm done gasping and almost kneeling on the, on the floor, he's like, okay, thank you, you're done, you're done, good, good, good. Do for me uh, 500 squats. Squats are, you, you know, just a simple squat, that movement, that's a squat. 500, 20, 20 kazi. And then I, I go, Again, I'm like, Jesus, Lord, Lord, you're not serious. This is, this is a lie. So I, I begin. One, by the time I'm reaching 50, I'm thinking, my God, I have times 10 or 50 to do. I'm going to die. <laughs> and to make it worse, the instructor removes a pot of... Right now, it doesn't look nice. But then, delicious smelling githeri. And he sat, crossed his feet, and was eating. And I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, why am I here in the first place? To cut the long story short, I didn't even last 20 minutes in the gym session. I went and was like, thank you so much, Nime. Shukuru, kwa kazi umenifanyisha leo. Tutaona kama ntarudi tena. And I, I took my belongings and I went. Quickly, quickly, chips, please. Nikaingia nikaji. Nikatibu muliangu kasema, eh, hiyo kazi nimefanya. Inabidi, I, I return. Nijambi asanti. And the fact of the matter is I left the gym quite disheartened and quite broken. And it could be that like the Jews, like the Jews in Jerusalem, who are heartbroken, who are discouraged, who are like, wow, what, what is the point? What is the point of life? What is the point of clinging on to Christianity? What is the point of persisting? What is the point? What is the point? It is much easier for me to go and become a, a, a Judaizer. Go back to Judaism. At least then my neighbor will talk to me. At least then I'll have friends, I'll have a company. Perhaps it is even better to make connections with the Roman government. The the writer in this section, that is from verse 1b to 2, he's exhorting, 
his audience, his listeners, to pursue the marathon of faith. The marathon of faith. It's a marathon. It's a long haul. It's not a sprint. It's not instant. It's not Kimbia to Ishe. No. It's a marathon. It's like there are a thousand push-ups. Count until a thousand. You're like, my Lord. Um, to, pursue, to pursue this marathon of faith. But not just to pursue it aimlessly. No, you pursue it by you fuel yourself with the vision of Christ. You fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on the true instructor of life. The true example of faith that we have. Who is Christ Jesus, our Lord. But then what does this mean? Jesus, I mean, fix your eyes on, on Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith. What does that mean? Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith. You know, for me, I, I love literal Christianity. You know, you're like, ah, kama ni kuandika, sini author ni kuandika. That means Jesus is seated in heaven and he's writing my faith down. And it's coming to completion. Um, and if you're like me, you know, uh, we have something new to learn today. That's the first question I asked myself when I read that. The second question is, this author seems to be really emphasizing about faith. Faith. What kind of faith? We, we interact with faith. Is it faith, Wanjeri? Which faith is this, you know? What faith? What kind of faith is he talking about? And the third question is, did Jesus actually leave for us an example of this faith so that we learn? Now, depending on the version that you read, you will see the words interchange. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Another version says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the, 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 the founder, the founder, yes, the founder and the perfecter of, of, of your faith. Another version says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the pioneer of your faith. The concept of an author has to do with setting an example, setting an example for people. For instance, if I, if I, if I, if I quote a book, let, let me say, the purpose-driven life or purpose-driven church, instantly in your mind comes Rick Warren, the author. Why? Because he's the first person to illustrate to us in a book his idea, his idea on the book. So... When, when, when the author, when the writer, rather, the writer of Hebrews speaks about Jesus being the author and perfecter of faith, he's saying, Jesus, the first person to set for us the perfect example of what faith looks like. That's what he's saying. Yeah. Jesus, the pioneer, the one who set for us the first example, the first perfect example of what faith truly means to be. Yeah. So in other words, Jesus is the first one to display and illustrate the faith, the perfect faith in God. But then what kind of faith is this? The faith that Jesus expresses is the faith that loves God. You know how God says, if you love me, then you will do what I say. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Then that means it's a faith that comes from obedience. Verse 3, rather verse 2 there. He says, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Christ obeyed God to the point of dying, to the point of dying comes to the third point. How does Christ show us this reality? And two things other than him dying, I come to see in reality. How does Christ then first of all display for us the faith that comes from obedience? One, Jesus left divinity. He left Godhood. He left being God to come here to this world of people who are selfish, people who are sinful, people who are sick, people who who lie, who cheat, who steal. 
a world like this that we're living in. He left divinity to come here, not to be a king, no, to be a servant and to die a very painful death on our behalf. He practically shows us an example of the faith that comes from obedience. I can only imagine the conversation in heaven. As God the Father asks, who will go and die for these people? Now, on, on this side of life, we may not fully appreciate how, how much of a sacrifice living the presence of God is because we have not yet felt the immediate presence of God. I think the closest people who came to experiencing that were Adam and Eve, who lived in the immediate presence of God where there was no sickness, there was no sorrow, there was no... Think of every horrible thing that there is. There was no. And Jesus left that. And he's like, Father, I am obeying you. I love you and I love the ones that you're sending me to die for. So here I am, practically setting an example for those whom you will give me to follow. So the first example of this faith is he leaves his divinity. The second example I can pick out, it's throughout his entire life, Jesus was setting an example for us. But I'm picking only two because of time. So here is Jesus on his physical earthly body and he's preaching and, and he's preaching and he's like, forgive those who persecute you, forgive your enemies, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. And chapters later, I was, I was so astounded. Chapters later, as he's being crucified, as he's being spat on, as he's being nailed on the cross by the very same sinners, what does he do with his last breath, the last breath before he dies? He prays for their forgiveness. He's like, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Now you tell me, if that is not an example of love your enemies and forgive those who do wrong against you. In a nutshell, everywhere Christ went, he lived in obedience to the Father and lived in submission to him. And he set an example. You look at his life and you're like, wow, this is such an example of faith, the faith that calls us to obedience, to follow. My second point, following in the author's footsteps. Now that we know the author is Jesus and the fact that he has been setting an example for us of the faith that comes from obedience. Now, we are called to follow in the author's footsteps. Verse 3 to 6. Verse 3 begins, Consider him who endured such opposition. Consider, consider him so that you will not grow weary. What is the author saying to the Hebrews first? He's speaking to their discouragement and saying, Yes, you're being persecuted by Nero. Yes, the Romans are a thorn in your flesh. Yes, you're struggling with personal sins and personal struggles. Yet... Yet, look at the example of Jesus. Look at the example of Jesus. Look at him. Look at the example he sets for us. Do not waver. Do not, do not change your sight. Look at him. Bring into memory. Ponder, consider, think about the life of Christ. In your discouragement, in your struggles, and your temptations. Draw strength to hold on, to persevere by looking at how Jesus managed, managed in his life. We see Jesus praying at some point, very early in the morning, conversing with the Father. And we wonder, where are we supposed to draw strength from? Praying, because Jesus prayed. We see Jesus overcoming temptation. By what? By keeping God's word in his heart. Every response he was responding to the devil was portions of scripture. He sets for us an example. Through and through, the life of Christ speaks to us. 
and, and calls us and calls us, calls us to persevere, calls us to persistence, perseverance in the faith. Now the most comforting thought that comes to mind is that this same Jesus who overcame the world, who is seated in the heavenly places, the places of authority with God the Father, this same Jesus is cheering not just the, the Hebrews at that day, but cheering you and me now in the trials and in the struggles that we have. He is calling us, calling us to persistence. He is encouraging us. He is perhaps even rebuking us. And perhaps he's even following us where we have strayed and where we are overwhelmed. He is pursuing us diligently. Giving us strength every day for this walk, for this marathon that is called faith. But I see a dilemma. There's a dilemma that arises and that there's a dilemma that confronts a lot of us. And engage me just for a few minutes. Allow me to ask you this question. You back at home and you who are seated here with me. What, think about your life. Think about life in a large scale. Like think about it large scale. Don't be limited. And I know most of us human beings don't like change. We despise change. When change comes, we're like, no, no. My comfort zone is what I want. Like, yeah. But think, think of this question. What are the three top three changes in your life that you would never want to happen? What are the top three changes in your life that you'd never want to happen? Think about death. Think about losing your job. Think about losing a spouse. Think about not having children or having children. Think about growing pimples on your body. Think about your hair being shaved. Think through. Think through. I know for me, a horror would be hair shaving for some degree. Yeah. But think through. What are the top three changes? If they were to happen to you, you're like, I think my life would be over. Is it a girlfriend? Is it connections? Is it losing your connections? Is it losing your fame? Losing your image in society. Then the next question is this, why, 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 do these, why, why do these things mean so much to you? What do they provide you with? Why wouldn't you want these things to change? Perhaps could they be a source of provision for you, for those of you who are like, eh, my salary and my job provides for me, I cannot lose it. Perhaps it's the source of joy and happiness for you. Perhaps if these things go, or if these people go, or if the change happens, without them, life, life might be meaningless for you and for me. Do these things define you as a person? Are they a sense of security for you? These three things that you do not want changed at all. Now, comes my interesting package. It must... I, I'm sure it's very, I, I, I am communicating its importance by how I have packaged it in Agunia. It is very important to me. Um, yes. Now, this is a gift I was given. Very important gift. It signifies a lot to me. But look at my relationship with my gift. Sorry, do you want to see my gift? I'm just, I'm just asking. Might you be curious? <laughs> so this is my gift amongst my prized possessions. How I love my gift. It provides security for me. It defines me. It tells me who I am. It comforts me when I am down. 
Yeah. I cannot lose this gift. Lord, you're my source of joy. Lord, you're my source of provision. Lord, I love you. My gift, I love you. You're my source. You're the one who, you're the one who provides. Yes. You're the, you're the source of... Are you, seeing, are you seeing what I'm doing there? So think of the things that God has given you, that has given me. Be it mother, father, spouse, children, jobs, education. Think of all these things. What is your perception of them? What is your perception of them? Remember the author of Hebrews is saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Please, your vision of Jesus, how you perceive Jesus, the level of importance and how you, you, you understand the life of Christ is the fuel for your work here in earth. But lo and behold, we have the gifts of God that God has given us that come and take the place of God in our lives. Perhaps the promises of God, the blessings of good things, the blessings of a phone. I can give you such an interesting testimony about how I have lost my phone several. It's because I don't have time. Um, but I will share one with you about a loved one. My grandfather, he was dear to me. In fact, the name Koti, I am named after him. He, you can say he was the original Koti. And my grandfather was this wonderful man who, who, who was kind and generous. And for me, I was a direct beneficiary of his provision. And I was in university at the time, my second year. And for me, the concept of provision was my grandfather. If you would speak of provision and kindness and good, it was him. His face is what I saw. And what happens? Suddenly, he falls ill. Suddenly, he dies. I have not finished school. I do not know where my help is supposed to come from. So what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to quit? Again, again, the author of Hebrews is like, Jesus, Jesus, not the blessings that come from Jesus. No, it is Jesus. Jesus is the fuel. Jesus, the vision of him. He is the person. He is the object of our faith. There are two interesting things that the author draws our attention to as we, as we are almost coming to a conclusion. There are two things he draws us to. He pleads with us, he first of all pleads with the Hebrews and says, please examine closely the hall of faith. The hall of faith is Hebrews 11. All those characters that are mentioned, Daniel, David, Abraham, name them. The hall of faith in Hebrews 11. He, he calls our attention to look at the hall of faith and look at their lives. I'll pick one example from there and one example from Jesus because he says, look at the hall of faith and after you've looked at the hall of faith, look at the life of Jesus. I'll begin with the hall of faith. We have Daniel who is alluded to quenching the flames of fire. It was not Daniel himself, it was his friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. A quick story, young men prominent given positions of authority in the government of Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah? They have affluence, they have money, they have looks, because the Bible does describe them as they were much good looking than the rest of their peers. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this sudden madness that strikes Nebuchadnezzar, strikes him again, and he's like, I need everyone to bow down to my image. Yeah. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves in a conundrum. 
Now, faith in their affluence, in their position of authority, perhaps their ministers in the regime of Nebuchadnezzar, perhaps they could have said, but, but king, we eat in your table, we work for you, you know? But no, that was not their argument. The second argument is, ah, Lord, but king, we are wise. We interpreted the dream for you. Wouldn't you spare us? Wouldn't you not? No, that was not their argument. That was not their plight. Their plight was this. They told the king, our faith rests in God alone. It is him who can deliver us from this sentence that you've given us. If he chooses to, they stake their entire lives on the faith that they have on God. Not, they do not turn to their sources of, I have money, let me run to money. I have this friend, let me run to this friend. I, because all of those sources failed. They turned to God. And it's not that they could not turn to them. They had them, but they didn't turn to them. That's the first story, to emphasize my point. The second story is this. Jesus and the disciples, remember the creator of the world, Jesus, is in the boat. But at the point, the disciples had not seen this reality. They're in a boat. The disciples are very confident. They're like, ah, the lake is calm, it's peaceful. Yes. The boat is strong, made of fine wood, it's sturdy. Yes. And what does Jesus do? He goes to sleep <laughs> in the stern. And a storm is swirling, a storm comes. A storm, an unprecedented storm, an unexpected storm comes. And the boat is tossed and turned. The boat that the disciples had previously had confidence in is now beginning to break or sink. The peacefulness of the lake of the shore is no longer peaceful. And mind you, Jesus is asleep. You know, that just bewilders me. The level of confidence he has. Who sleeps in the middle of a storm? But he's asleep. Calling them to the faith of enter into my rest. Enter into my rest. Enter into my rest. Have faith in me. And when everything is about to break is when they remember, oh, Jesus, let's go and wake him up. And Jesus rebukes the storm and is like, peace, be still. And then asks the disciples a very interesting question. He asks them, where is your faith? And I examined this question and I saw this question is not so much about the amount of faith they had. No, it is the object of faith. Where had you placed your faith in? Where had you placed your faith to begin with? We have a tendency to idolize so many things. We have a tendency to run to and, and, and run to the things that we hold dear that secure us. But no, the author of Hebrew is like, no, they shall not sustain you. You need to come back to the saving faith, to the faith of obedience in Jesus. And Jesus alone can save. The last point as we conclude. Where does that leave us? Do you not hear the call of the author? Perhaps to search yourself and confess the idols that you are unwilling to let go. To change. Confessing to God and ask him to forgive you. To forgive me for the things that I have held dear. I mentioned previously I had faith in my grandfather. And I thought my life would end after his death. Am I not here preaching to you? My being here is a testimony that God proved me wrong. Where I thought his life is what was keeping me. No. No. 
It is actually the life of God that is keeping me. The second call is a call to surrender and let go. Surrender and let go. Surrender and let go. Perhaps we are turning back and we are running back to sin. I invite the worship team, please come and join me. The call to surrender, we turn back to perhaps a sin that easily besets us. Perhaps something that, that, that we are clinging on to, that this makes me feel good. This is what defines me. No, no, no. We are called to go back to Jesus. The third call is a call to know Jesus. Because how then will you have faith in Christ if you do not know his life? You do not know the details. What will your vision be informed by? If you're completely ignorant of Jesus and his life and how he lived, then it's a call for us to go back and read God's word and to study God's word properly. And lastly, it is a call for us to obey. Allow me to conclude with these remarks. Two stories and I finish. The first is of Jesus and the rich man. The rich man comes to Jesus and is like, Master, Rabbi, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus is like, obey, obey the commandments. Obey the commandments. That's it's as simple as that. And he's like, from birth, from birth I have obeyed the commandments. And Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, you just have but one to do. Go sell all you have and come and follow me. Jesus threatens the idols that this man holds dear. He's like, let, let go of your idol and have me. Let go of the idol that you have and follow me. Embrace me. And the Bible says the man was sorrowful beyond consolation. And he left. He left the offer of Jesus. But we have another story here. A confession by Paul. And it's a confession I love. And listen to what he says. Philippians chapter 3 verse 8. If you're able to turn with me, please do so. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. A glorious confession. We are contrasting these two people. The rich man who was given the offer of eternal life but chose his idols of richness first. But then we have Paul, his confession. And this is the call that God is calling us to. The confession of Paul. Philippians 3, 8. And he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things I have lost the idols I used to hold dear everything I used to think is important I have lost I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ let's bow our heads for word of prayer and Jesus we we come to you we come to you in various walks from various lives from various struggles the idols we venerate, Lord, have, have hindered our perception of you. And so we struggle continuously. This marathon seems unbearable because we have replaced you, the true and firm and found guide. The best example, we have replaced you, O oh God, with other things that we think are more meaningful. Help us to turn back to you. Help us to return to you, O oh God. Help us to love you, O oh God. Help us to surrender. Won't you be glorified in our lives in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.